This is Untapped Power, insights and wisdom for collective transformation in the yoga community. I'm your host, Amanda Stroni, a registered yoga teacher and financial coach for yoga teachers, healers, and spiritual creatives. This podcast serves as a sacred space with a new way forward to speak the truth about the yoga industry from the perspective of the teachers. Join me for intentional conversations with yoga teachers from around the globe as we navigate the industry and explore the changing path ahead. We will dive into personal challenges, industry improvements, and financial stability. I believe one of the greatest gifts we can give to the world is tapping into all of our personal power so we can collectively raise the vibration together. Are you ready to join the conversation? Now let's dive in. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Untapped Power, Insights and Wisdom for Collective Transformation in the Yoga Community. I'm excited to have on the show today, Angela DeRoges, who is a yoga teacher and also a bar educator and a booty yoga instructor. And so she started her journey back in 2016 and she teaches on the seacoast of New Hampshire. And I've taken class with Angela. um, And one of the things that I find so uh, beautiful about her teaching is just the way in which she can incorporate humor and authenticity um, to make it really an experience for the practitioner where they feel comfortable and at ease. And so um, I'm really grateful that she's uh, joining us today on the show and I will give her um, the ability to just introduce uh, why she became a yoga teacher and sort of to describe her journey um, through the practice and really her intentions behind being here. So thank you, Angela, for being here. Thanks, Amanda. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so you had been asking about my journey. And I feel like movement has always been um, just my motivation, the thing that guides me throughout my life. And um, it started in the dance studio when I was a kid. And eventually, I ended up uh, owning a dance studio as an adult, a very young adult, inexperienced adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and after I sold my business, it sort of morphed into um, teaching fitness, teaching bar, and then yoga teacher training was always on my list of things to accomplish. And so, um, yeah, getting my teacher, you know, training, my certification just seemed like the, the logical next step and one I'm so grateful for. That's great. And so um, just in your journey, I'd be interested to hear in owning the dance studio, what were some of the things that you noticed during that time or, and also what could you take with you from your time and ownership of a studio into becoming more of a teacher working for other people? Did you notice, um, some differences there, things that you found to be beneficial that you could take with you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of one of the things that makes me a different type of employee or, you know, I'm still being a a yoga teacher, still a small business owner in a way. Um, But yeah, oh my gosh, the number of things that I learned from owning a business, it's incredible, especially, you know, like I said, I was young, I was 19 when I started it, which seems crazy to me now. Um, But yeah, I, I think what I really learned is that I invest so much of my emotional side, my heart into it is actually what made me sell my business because I was killing myself in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
so yeah, I just, I took so much away from it, but to be able to see the big picture, I think is what makes me unique as a teacher too. You know, I do know and understand the business side of it. So it's not just me showing up and teaching a class and not understanding that the rent needs to get paid and all these other things, you know? Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it is very important. And a, and a lot of teachers, I think, maybe don't see that side of it if they haven't had mm. the experience. So that's a, that's a great point to bring up. Um, and investing emotionally, I mean, that is hard to not do, right? How do we not yeah. invest emotionally when we're teaching or when we're running a business? How do we, you know, do you feel that it is important to distinguish between the two or how do we start to draw that line in the sand, I guess, when it comes to being a teacher and being uh, a business owner and all the things? Is, is it possible, I guess, to not be invested emotionally or, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I would almost hope the answer would be no, that it's not possible, right? If you're not, if your heart isn't in it, then why are you? Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say like, it it kept me up at night, you know, and I think also dealing with people's children is a whole other realm as opposed to, you know, people who show up to practice. Um, People on the other side of things as a dance studio owner, parents are so emotionally invested. So you're dealing with people and their children. It's like a whole other scope of work, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a little lighter what I'm doing now. I yeah. Would say. Nice. <laughs> and so now you're teaching, um, just to give us a rundown of what your current um, day-to-day looks like or your schedule and, and what you're doing. Um, you're teaching at, at a variety of students, at a variety of students, at a variety of um, studios. Yeah. So it's kind of complicated right now because we're in the COVID-19 situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of a lone wolf in some ways, but I do teach on the seacoast of New Hampshire for two studios uh, in normal times. And then I also manage a studio down in Massachusetts um, remotely. So yeah, I do a little of both end of things. Okay. So in, in the studios that you are teaching at, what would you say that you've learned about the culture of those yoga studios and how maybe that they're different, how they operate? Um, Just some of the, some of the ways in which studios show up to their students, um, to the community, to their teachers? Is there a difference there? And what does it feel like to you um, as a teacher at multiple studios? Can you talk about some of those areas um, and what you see in the industry? Yeah, it's so interesting to have, you know, different perspectives and different business owners and the way they handle things. It's been especially interesting, I think, during these um, times with the pandemic going on. Um, and I teach for two very different studios in terms of what their offerings are and, you know, just the overall vibe of the studio. So in some ways, it's really nice to have a little bit of both. You know, one is a pretty serious yoga studio in terms of like people come there to practice yoga and they're pretty dedicated to it. Um, the funny thing is, is that I'd actually just started at these studios at the beginning of the year. So I was only a couple months into these, um, you know, communities before everything shut down. So I don't really have a great like foothold on, on the communities there because I I was pretty, it was limited, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and in the past, had you taught at studios before? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were some of the things that you noticed within the studios just in, um, how they operate. Are they all the same, right? Are all studios oh. operating with the same type of um, 
rules and regulations and the ways in which they give you information or don't give you information. I mean, I know personally, I have my own thoughts that I don't, I know that they don't operate the same way, but I'd love to hear um, just where you think some of the, some of the studios that you felt really aligned with what they were doing to, um, to make you feel that way versus those that maybe made you feel a little less than that. And there's no, right, we're not naming studios, but it's just to understand sort of how the industry sits on a wide spectrum, it feels like that there isn't Mm. as much consistency as we would like to believe. And I know for myself, having been in one studio for a long time, it was easy to not see that, right? When you're in one environment and you don't ever get to um, branch out and see as a teacher how different places operate. So I think it's always nice to get that exposure. So I'd love to hear just like some of the, some of the experiences you've had um, to see if maybe some, some of our listeners can relate to that as well. Yeah, for sure. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of hiding behind the spiritual aspect of things uh, in the yoga community, you know, and you can take that and run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people are amazing yoga instructors that maybe aren't um, as experienced on the business end of things, and that can show. Um, one person... Um, that I've worked for, she is somebody who walks the walk, not just talks the talk. And it's something I appreciate so tremendously. She's just a leader, very consistent, always communicative, but I feel like that's very rare. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people, and rightfully so, are very focused on, you know, making money, making the business successful, and maybe not being fair um, to their staff. So, you know, there's a lot of expectations about being a yoga teacher that goes far beyond what you're teaching. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I love what you said about, you know, someone that is integral, right? And they're teaching and how they're running the business. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it is important as a teacher and someone that is a part of that community to know that there is that coherence, right? There there is someone that is showing up the same way. Um, And it's, it's definitely challenging. And I agree with you. I think that the experience in business, unfortunately, is not there for a lot of teachers or studio owners. So it may be something that is started as more of a passion. Um, and when it comes to understanding the business side of it, uh, and, and that includes what I like to think about, too, is the way in which we communicate to people, right, as, as a leader, as someone that is in the in the face of people and is and it's managing people. I mean, management is a is a um, job that requires you to have certain skills to communicate with people and to effectively get your message out there and to make sure you understand how your employees are feeling, what they need, what they require. And sometimes to me, it feels as though um, as an industry that this, the yoga industry itself, although it makes a lot of money, it seems to not operate like traditional other businesses. right? Right. So, and I don't know if, um, you know, it's, this, it's the spiritual component and the teaching that, that is being provided. Um, and that may be the area in which we notice the gap. But I think I, what I see often is that, is that lack of um, operating as a business would operate, right? Having a system in place, having ways in which you communicate to employees, um, having ways in which you communicate to customers and having consistency. Um, 
and also knowing that that people are different and we have to adapt and, and adjust as needed. So um, it's interesting. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. It, it just the comparison of really looking at businesses and how they operate versus yoga studios and how they operate. And they are a business, right? They're making money, they're making profit. And yet, where do they fall short within that model? Right. Yeah. And I think what you said is absolutely true is it, and I'm, I'm just making, you know, everybody starts their businesses for different reasons, but I think oftentimes in this industry, it's a, you know, it's a passion Mm -hmm. and you know, that's what I learned owning my business too. It was my dream. And, you know, I was a, basically a child, but I knew that that's what I always wanted to do. And that being said, once I figured out all of the logistics that went into that, you know, it kind of crushed my dreams in a sense, because it's like, it's so much bigger than getting in the dance studio and teaching these kids how to shuffle, you know? Yeah. And so I think, you know, probably a lot of yoga studio owners are in over their heads. And what I see a lot of is um, it being very image driven you know, um, we're going to go out. It's almost like more important to say what they stand for than to really think about what that looks like in the day-to-day operations of their business. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's challenging, right. To actually put it into action, right. To Mm -hmm. actually do it. Um, and yeah, we live in a culture where we're able to put most anything up right? And then share it with the world Mm -hmm. via social media or other platforms. And so it's easy to paint a picture of what, what looks good. And it's more challenging to actually be in, in it and be doing it and to be authentic and integral in that, in that space. So I definitely agree with you. There is sometimes a gap between those two um, that, um, that, that, that is unfortunate, right? We don't always get to see the truth behind what's actually going on. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great thing to, to look at. So switching directions a little bit, I want to just talk about what you feel are some of the challenges as a yoga teacher that you face um, personally in the industry. And it can be from a financial standpoint, it can be from a teaching standpoint, but just some of the challenges that you see um, within the industry that may be uh, preventing it from, from growing or preventing yourself from really moving forward in the direction that you would like to go? Yeah, I think um, there's a, a few things. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we want to start with the financial aspect of things. I think if you looked at a lot of teachers hourly rate, you would think that was pretty impressive. Um, what I think a lot of people don't know is that the expectations of you are not just to go in and lead a class there to be an expert in whatever software system the the studio uses. It's to be a, you know, someone who cleans the studio after class. It's to be a therapist oftentimes for (laughs) clients, you know, oh, and also to come up with super creative classes and new playlists every week. And, you know, the travel to and from, I mean, it's not a normal nine to five, obviously. So you're not just showing up and banging out eight classes. You know, there's an hour and a half in between. So how do you fill your time? Do you live close to the studio? You know, it's um, the logistics of all that stuff can be grading because there, there are a lot of things that you're asked to be an expert about, which go far beyond your job description. Yeah. No, I love that. That is so, 
so many great points there, right? There's so many things that you're doing. It's like you're, like you said, a therapist, a cleaner, a, um, <laughs> you know, someone that knows how to use the software, which I didn't even think about, right? It's, it's all these things that for some people, those are easy, right? For some sure. people, those are, um, they're easily adaptable and can do that. And for other people, they're more challenging. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's including all those in, in that. And then to your point, the hourly rate is, are you being compensated for doing all those things? Are you being compensated? And so that, that can be questionable at some studios if the rate is not, um, fair enough to compensate for all those things. Right. So, and then how, you know, leading into sort of, is it possible to be financially successful as a teacher? Right. Those are the questions that come up with when we when we look at these um, factors, as you mentioned, you know, it is a it can it can be looked at by some as a great rate, but when you're incorporating all these things and knowing that you can't do it seven hours a day, right? We mm-hmm. wouldn't be teaching seven classes in a row back to back. It's probably not humanly possible. I mean, maybe some <laughs> people have. I'm not sure, but yeah. um, I wouldn't <laughs> think so. But it, it and it may it doesn't it doesn't even it wouldn't even really be a real possibility um, based on the industry and what you're doing. But um, so then how many classes can you teach a week? You know what I mean? And still right. be feeling supportive in your own physical body, right? Feeling exactly supported. What does that look like? Um, and is that financially, does that provide financial stability for you? Right. Those are the questions I think. So, yeah. I mean, I think if I were getting paid what I think I should be getting paid, you know, I could probably um, make out, but you know, to be honest with you, I've always had to have another part-time job that is Mm -hmm. not physical because to me, you know, my threshold is about 10 classes a week. You know, that's where Mm -hmm. I feel physically comfortable, but also like you just brought up, there is a lot of energy being exchanged and the output of energy is sometimes overwhelming. And so at the end of the week, you know, you can be really fatigued from teaching all week long. And so are there teachers out there that teach probably 20 or 30 classes a week? Probably, you know, I don't know how how they still stand at the end of the week. (laughs) I've never found that to be the case for me, you know? Um, And so, yeah, it's not, it's not, really feasible with, I think, the going rate of what teachers are paid right now. You know, you you have to come up with all these other things. And it's why you see a lot of teachers doing things like offering workshops and, mm-hmm. you know, private sessions and things like that. But it's, it's a hustle, really is. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the idea of the hustle, right? Because mm-hmm. is that something... And this is for you to answer personally, too, if you, you know, if you feel comfortable, but like, is the hustle something that you want for the rest of your life, you know, and maybe for some people, it could be, but is it something that um, you're willing to pursue to continue teaching? Yeah, I don't think it's a long term Mm. way to be, you know, I actually had this realization a couple weeks before COVID hit where I was like, I have been at this hustle game for a really long time and I'm Mm. drained. Like I'm absolutely drained from planning retreats and um, class formats. And, you know, the universe, I guess, kind of handed me a break, but, um, or some of us, you know, whether we wanted it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, no, I actually still feel physically tired when I think about how hard I was working before all this because it's too much. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's just something that I'm glad that you're, you're honest about and willing to, to say that because to me, sometimes it feels as though we see an image like we talked about before that with studios presenting an image and not being in alignment and the same thing with teachers, right? Presenting mm-hmm. a way of what they're doing, how they're te- how much they're teaching, what they're offering and not really showcasing the other side of it, right? How are they really feeling? Like, are you able to really maintain that within your body? Um, Mm -hmm. Does that really make sense? Is it realistic? So I think what, what can happen sometimes with that is that someone that comes out of a teacher training, right? Someone or someone that even decides to go into a teacher training is working off this false assumption of what a yoga teacher is actually doing. It's a great point. And, and I just question that, you know, as far as um, how we show up, you know, and, and if we've created a false way of displaying how the industry is functioning, mm-hmm. is that then leading other people to believe that things are different than they are? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think as teachers, we need to be really careful with that because so often what I see teachers posting and I'm just generalizing here obviously there's Mm -hmm. exceptions to this but you know is the pose you know or like you know you're you know touching your your toes you're you know you're in this huge back bend why am I not able to think about great yoga poses right now I don't know but you know what I'm saying yeah (laughs) Uh, you know we're so focused on the asana and portraying this image to people that yeah maybe it would be super beneficial if we all talked about how tired we get (laughs) you know yeah yeah it wouldn't look as glamorous but if the reality if the reality is that you know is it possible to do this and to be financially um successful or stable or abundant however you want to use the phrasing right because I do believe that it's on your terms so to say Mm -hmm that for someone they may feel financially supported, someone else may not. But within that, feeling financially supported is also feeling supported in all areas of your life, right? So it's, it's like you could, the same person that's going out and working 80 or 90 hours a week and feeling totally depleted, is that worth it, right, for their body and their mind? Um, it's the same type of connection, right? Is it worth it for you to go out and burn yourself out to make not as much money, right? And to feel Mm -hmm. this sort of deplete within yourself, but then to tell other people that it's great. I love it. You know (laughs) what I mean? And and those things are, I think are real. I do believe that people feel that because I feel that myself and I'm sure you feel that as well is is the reason why you're doing what you're doing is because you are passionate about it and it does bring you um, joy and you are walking in your purpose. But if we keep operating within an industry where we're uh, making it seem like a lot of people are successful when they're really not, then it's harder to overcome the barrier, right? It's harder to prove the case that it's possible because people are already believing that it, that, that it's already happening because of what they're seeing 
and what people are promoting, right? And making it feel like they are successful. Sure. You know, and I think it's really easy as a consumer or a practitioner to look at it and say, okay, well, I just paid $25 for that class. And so it's really easy to look at that and see the overall model as being super successful and like everybody's getting rich off of it. And in some cases, maybe people are, but for the most part, what I see is, is nobody really seeming to be overly successful. Right. Right. Yeah. And I agree with you. That's the piece where, you know, we know that there is a percentage of yoga teachers that are successful. Um, and I don't know what that percentage is, what, what we would call, I guess, celebrity yogis, right? I don't like to use that term, but I've heard it used before. But those people that, you know, travel around, do, you know, fill up retreats and workshops and, and are making a decent living. But I don't know what that percentage is. And it seems very small, right? It oh, seems yeah. like a very, very small percentage. And then there is a lot, a bigger percentage of people that, are just trying to, to teach classes every day or to start to do workshops and retreats and different things to figure out sort of what works for them. Um, and yes, I don't, I, I don't know what the studio model, like, and especially in the times that we're in right now with what's going on in the world, if that model is something that's going to sustain, right? If that's going to be something that works over time. Right. Yeah. Are we setting ourselves up for a long-term success here? Because it really doesn't feel that way. You're And you're right. I keep thinking about, you know, these studios that maybe when they were filling classes before COVID who were already struggling, I mean, how are they possibly keeping it together now with only half capacity or whatever it is? Right. I don't, I don't know how that's feasible. Yeah. 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 And so I, I, I don't know that, um, I personally have an answer. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, but it's, I think it's important for us to talk about it, to make it yeah. uh, clear that, as you mentioned, you know, you've always had a part-time job and that's just what it is, right? I, my, myself included, like there's, I've had to do multiple things. It, it, it's never been that I could just do that and make a living. Right. And so, if that isn't what's being promoted or if, if then there's some, some point of pause there. And also the question becomes why, you know, where, where is it broken that you can't make a living, right? Is it the model of the studio that should be changed so that people can be paid accordingly so they can make a living? Or is it the, the way in which the, the training programs are set up? Um, that's another thing I'd love to hear your thoughts about like the structure of the trainings. I know I feel you've had a 200 hour yoga teacher training or. Yes. Yeah. So what did you feel was beneficial in the structure of the training that you took? Yeah, that's a, a whole other thing, isn't it? And it's interesting to me too, even since I took my training, I mean, it seems like every studio around now offers trainings, which I understand because you know, for financial reasons, obviously they can make a a decent amount of money. Um, You know, we could easily get into that and how obviously it's structured so that people who already have money can, you know, they're expensive training. So obviously we're not setting ourselves up to train just anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
but anyway, yeah, I, I don't know the, the training itself. It's, oh gosh, I could talk to you for days about what actually <laughs> transpired during my training and my whole life changed, but that's a, a story for another time. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, to me, it was more personal growth, the training, you know, than anything else. Like it was just how I evolved as a person. I came into it already as a teacher. So I feel like in a way I had, I don't want to say an unfair advantage, but just a uh, different perspective than everybody else. And I remember feeling, I don't know if you felt this way, Amanda, like, you know, a week before we were graduating or whatever, I was like, I am not prepared to teach a yoga class, <laughs> you know, like, and of course I was, yeah. I had all the tools, but it was just like, yeah, we were just like chipping away at the surface, like, you know, to really understand and dive into yoga, I feel like it would take a lifetime. So I don't know yeah. if I answered your question, but. No, I think that that brings up some good points. And it's, it's interesting from your perspective as someone that was already teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a whole different perspective than someone that's never done any type of in-person teaching in any form, yeah. right? Because teaching, we, we run the gamut of teaching. I was a high school teacher, so I could say I can get up and, and you know what I mean, yeah. teach in front of students, but I had never done any type of fitness or or yoga workshop type teaching where you had done some dance, which was, so that is interesting too, because there are a lot of people that that's a big element, right? Getting up and presenting yourself and all of those things are, I think so important when we, when we think about studios and teachers and first impressions, because Mm -hmm. anyone that comes into a studio who has never practiced yoga, um, they don't know anything you know, we, we, we don't know what they know and they're taking it for what it is. So the first impression is so key, right? The way in which you speak, how you get them into a pose, out of a pose, um, all of those things make a difference. And some people, you know, if that, if that is a challenge for someone, um, it, it can be just something that they have to work on as a teacher, um, and, and we, and the program I felt, I don't know if you felt this way with the trainings, it, it is a short amount of time. I mean, it's 200 hours, but to your point, a lot of it is your own personal growth, your personal evolution. When you start to understand the teachings and you start to put them into play and in how you live your life. Um, and then you start to notice that certain behaviors, people, patterns no longer serve <laughs> you and you have to make big changes. I, I mean, I noticed yeah. that, that you know, there are people that may, that left my life, um, jobs, situations, you know, different ways of being in the world. Mm -hmm. And, and within that, then you're learning about the history, right? And you're learning about the poses. And then you're learning about how to sequence the poses and how to cue the poses and the anatomy of the body. And so um, it is a robust curriculum. And yet all studios are different, which I take pause and just would love to hear your thoughts on that. And just when we think about the variety of programs that are out there and as some people may, may or may not know, um, yoga Alliance here in the States oversees most of the curriculums for studios. Um, I think there's another, another um, one in Europe and I can't think of it offhand. Um, but so there is some standards that studios are operating by when they develop these curriculums, but you see that they're all a little bit different. Sure. And so 
what does that mean for keeping integrity within the practice? And how do we go about making sure that, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting point to bring up. Like where, where do we go with it? How do we know that um, people are receiving and is, is the price point too high? I know that you brought that up. Like, is it really accessible mm-hmm. to all people because it's around 2000 to $3,000 for these 200 hour trainings. So yeah. And I mean, the price makes sense to me, you know, considering mm-hmm. how much is being invested by the, the teachers who are leading these trainings. But yeah, do I think it's accessible for everyone? No, I actually, I, I was really, really broke when I decided to take the leap. And I don't even know what possessed me to just put it on a credit <laughs> card and go for it. Right. Um, but I did. And I'm so glad I did. Um, but yeah, and, and unfortunately, one of the factors of me deciding where to get my certification was price. And yeah. It just it it was the difference between like you said two thousand or four thousand dollars, and considering I didn't have a single dollar to invest, it um, it made a big difference, and I ended up in the right spot for me. Um, But yeah, it's I don't know I I agree with you about the overarching you know dilemma where it seems like Yoga Alliance pretty much approves most of the trainings that I see. Mm-hmm. But I had somebody, actually a practitioner of mine, approach me recently because she wants to get certified, which is wonderful. And she wants to do it all online. Mm-hmm. And so she sent me a handful of online programs for me to kind of investigate and see what I thought. And it was strange to me to look into them because some of them were very flashy, like very Hollywood-based um, you know, so what I encouraged her to do is actually to start taking classes with these instructors. I'm like, there's really no way to know just based on an online platform who these people are and if you resonate with them, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And and it's interesting with the world that we're in now because everything will be online for probably the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows when we'll be back into a group setting with people. So how does that shift some of the dynamics that you felt were effective having people in space together. Right. Right. Well, that's what I I said to her. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to her, I said, to be honest with you, the biggest impact for me was my Kula, you know, the people Mm -hmm. that were in my yoga training. I mean, they literally picked me up off the floor, you know, like held me together during those months that we shared. And so I can't imagine doing that virtually. Right. Um, but of course, everybody's different. So yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it, I, to me, it seems so overwhelming to try to pick a place to get certified, because unless you have that teacher that you know, you want to be the one that leads you, mm-hmm. there's almost too many options. Yeah. And another thing to bring up, um, and I don't know if you notice this within your training program, but for a lot of studios and teacher training programs, there is the classes can range from 15 to 20 people. And when you graduate, is there opportunities to teach at that studio, right? Is there actually opportunities to start to make money, to start to build a profession in doing this? So you've invested, you know, two, between two and $3,000, similar to if you went back to school and got and took courses And then you went back and and you, so that you could enhance your job or move into a different job. And so you would hope that you would be getting back, right? There would be a rate of return for you, that you'd be receiving 
back what you put in over time, right? Everything is an investment and we have to, we have to put in the money to, to receive back sometimes. It's not, we can't just say, I'm going to be a yoga teacher and not do any training. So it's a requirement, but is it, are we getting it back over time? And have you taken time to think about that? And, and I pose that question to you and really to anyone listening or who's a teacher, because I can see teachers sometimes they take one training, one training leads into another training, into another training. And before you know it, you know, $10,000, $20,000 worth of trainings under your belt. Mm-hmm. And maybe you, even, you haven't even taught a class or, <laughs> you know, or you're yeah. starting to teach, but when are you getting to a place where you've evened out that gap and then you can start to build upon it? So... Yeah, I've seen that a lot happen in the fitness industry where people get certification happy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I get it. It's, it gets in your blood. And I think that's cool. I have quite a few certifications over time. But I my challenge for those types of people are, are you becoming, I don't want to use the word expert, but are you becoming, you know, a real artist in one of those modalities, you know, like, yeah. are you really teaching this one thing and, and, you know, it becoming your craft as opposed to just kind of checking all these boxes and not really being proficient in any of them, you know? Yeah. And I have to say, like, I took my yoga training in under kind of different circumstances where I was already an established bar instructor for a studio that also taught yoga. And so I knew for a fact that I was going to be on the schedule teaching more classes once I got my certification. Mm -hmm. So I did. And I was also lucky enough that the studio owner at the time stepped in and helped me pay for my teacher training. Um, Wow. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I had been working there a very long time. So, um, you know, again, different circumstances, but I was guaranteed more money. Otherwise, I don't think I could have justified the expense of it. Yeah. No. And I, and I love what you brought up around um, the trainings and, and being, having one modality, right. One focus or one area in which you sort of become an expert. And so that's a question that I um, notice a lot and have had with people around diversifying yourself. Right. So is it, do you feel that it's more important to diversify yourself and to be doing a number of different programs versus focusing on one area of expertise? Um, And I say this just within the industry. So I know we've talked a little bit about like you might have a part-time job or something else you're doing. And I think that that's different. I think where I'm really going with this is so if my focus is on um, meditation Right. And that's my expertise. And I only I want to really focus on meditation. Does it make sense for me to target and to work all my material around like a meditation workshop, individually meditate meditation programs for clients um, doing that in all my classes? Or does it make sense for me to have meditation, advanced practices, um, practices to help you sleep, you know, all a different variety? Mm. I think you just want to be comfortable with where you're starting first, you know? So it's like, let's say you're starting to, to just begin to teach meditation and you don't quite have your voice yet or the confidence to really, um, you know, sell that. 
then trying to branch out and all these other things is just going to water down the entire experience. So you're never going to be great at any of those things because you're not giving yourself a chance to, to grow in one area, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think learning is always a great idea. I mean, you, you can't yes. go wrong with learning, but, <laughs> right. but you want to get good at what you're doing to start, right? Right. No, that's a great point. I love that. And I think it makes total sense for, for people that are starting out to be really comfortable in what they're doing. And I, I believe that it's the comfortability is around just like getting people into poses in a safe way, right? Mm-hmm. Using direct language to help people move their bodies and to know that they're safe, right? And to get comfortable with that. And then we add on different layers. So when you look at, you know, theming or different ways in which you can uh, plan a class, right? That's another layer that you're adding on to, um, to where you're at. Um, It's interesting because we, I think I do see a lot of people that are um, dabbling in multiple areas, you know what I mean? And I think as a customer or someone that's out there can become confusing sometimes to know what someone is offering, right? To know Mm -hmm. what, why I would go to them versus someone else, right? Is there a distinguishing factor? And I, I think the industry sort of opens that up because there is, there is so much variety right now. I mean, there's just so many types of yoga, so many different ways of, of doing things that I think we see similarities, but I also see so many like new ways of doing things that I would have never thought about before. So. Yeah. And it's hard because everyone wants to try to separate themselves and, and create their own identity. And, and I feel that way a lot of times too. It's like, okay, well, if I'm just another yoga teacher, what is going to set me apart? But I'll tell you, uh-huh. What sets me apart is that I'm me and that I connect with the people that I connect with. And so I think sometimes people get a little distracted by trying to reinvent the wheel that they're just kind of missing the fact that it's like, if you just be you, you will start to draw the people to you that, that you should, and it'll all work itself out. You know, you don't have to be, you know, doing hula hoop yoga. I don't even know if that's okay. (laughs) It will be. (laughs) Yeah. Starts today. Classes at four. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I see it a lot, a lot too, like with new teachers, you know, Mm -hmm. I've taught a lot of bar teacher trainings and so often I'll go to new teachers classes, you know, to mentor them or whatever. And you see them trying to come up with all these crazy new moves. And I'm like, but what about those basic things you learned that are effective and there for a reason? Like, let's become great at that. And then you can start to get more creative, you know, like you're not going to be teaching in yoga class, you know, a, a headstand before you can get them into a crescent lunge effectively. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, I absolutely know what you're saying. And I love a lot of the things that you just mentioned, right? Creating your identity, right? You are you. And I think, as I mentioned in the intro, that to me was for when I took, when I've taken class with you. I feel that, right? I feel a personal connection for of you showing up as who you are. And that is totally different than anyone else that I have taken classes with because you're a different person. And okay. I, you're not trying to be someone else. Um, and I think that that is certainly an area in which um, when you're new or even when you're not new, right? It's this attaching to 
seeing what someone else is doing and maybe seeing them being successful and thinking that if you do that, um, it will work for you. Mm. But it takes you further and further away from your own personal identity. And people don't relate to that, right? That people, people aren't attracted to someone that is just replicating someone else. Um, Right. And you're, and you're totally right in the fact that, you know, there, it can be so basic, right? It isn't always coming up with this like elaborate sequence because people just want to move their bodies, Mm -hmm. right? And people can move their bodies in a simple way and have such a powerful experience if the person that is leading is empowered in their own body and is, is confident in showing up as who they are that experience is so much different than someone that isn't showing up that way, but has like this sequence that is totally creative and off the wall. And you, you know what I mean? And people might leave feeling disconnected. So yeah, confused. yeah. So it's an interesting, um, it's interesting. And I think a great piece of advice for a lot of people out there that um, are overwhelmed as teachers, you know, with always feeling this pressure to, make it new or to make it something different. I also think there is kind of this pressure in the yoga world sometimes to be kind of serious. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you've taken class with me before. Yeah. That's like the opposite of what (laughs) I am. Yeah. Um, And that's not going to resonate with some people. You know, I've certainly taught classes in, in yoga specific studios, especially where I'm not their cup of tea because if we're not laughing in a class to me, I don't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just how I roll. And that's not going to be for everybody. And and that's also a tough thing. I think as a teacher is accepting the fact that some people are not going to be your people. Yes. And to be yeah. okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a life lesson, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone is not your cup of tea. And I think, um, yeah, it is. It's a hard lesson, though, when you're a teacher and you're in front of people and you're trying to. You you do have that mentality of trying to make everyone happy, and so when people don't like you or don't resonate with you, um, it's sometimes easy to question who you are, versus what you just said, coming to that realization that everyone isn't going to maybe like your style or how you operate, and it's okay to let that go. Right. There's no need to hold on to it or to personalize it or to start to change or alter your teaching because those people don't like it. Right. Because for some people being more serious is who they are. And so for them, that will feel more natural. Mm -hmm. And for you, you know, not having humor is more natural for you. So and the same token is true for someone that was serious. If they tried to incorporate humor, you can tell it's like forced yeah. and it's not funny, okay. right? It's like <laughs> we all experience that too, where it just becomes this feeling of, you know, I'm trying to do this because I saw someone else do it and I thought it would work and it's, it, it doesn't work. So it's yeah. finding, finding that space within yourself that feels like a, a sweet spot for you where you're in alignment um, and you feel connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And do you notice in your teaching ever having still those thoughts in your mind sometimes of um, if someone didn't like the class or wondering if they liked it or have you gotten to a place where you show up and provide what you provide and, and know that um, and know that's what whatever anyone needs or doesn't need? 
You know, I try to be that person who yeah. takes it all in stride, but I would be lying to you if I didn't say it. Um, you know, I could literally rattle off a handful of things people have uh, critiqued about my classes. And so obviously I still hold on to it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, for example, there was a woman not so long ago that said, after class, like in a super passive aggressive way, like, I really liked that mellow playlist you had today. Like, so she was comparing it to <laughs> my other playlist. Right. And I was like, Oh, thank you. You know? Um, but I, I, I did take that to heart. I remember planning the next week's playlist and be like, okay, she really liked mellow. And then I'm like, wait a minute. So yeah, I think it's, it's human to be affected by other people's words. Um, I'd love to get to a point where I just let that bounce off me, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, no. And thank you for being honest. And I would agree with you. I, I, myself, I feel like I want to be at that place. And there are times where I am and times where I'm not. Um, totally. Right. And we hear these things. So it's, and, and it's just putting it out there for anyone else to understand that too, that we're human. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, we, we all get feedback, whether we ask for it or not, which is the most interesting part sometimes, right? It's, it's people give their um, unsolicited feedback anytime they mm -hmm. feel like it. And so we have to take that with a grain of salt um, to know that I think to know that it's not personal and also to know that it's, it's, there is the option, I think, which I think can be so beautiful and that we can listen to what someone is offering back to us and then also think about, oh, well, you may like this teacher or you may like this yes. person, right? Instead of this competitive way sometimes in which we operate, it's like in this community and in yoga, we as teachers, we know a lot of variety of teachers and we're not all the same. So I think that's a way that, that we can collectively come together a little bit more is to say, oh, that's interesting. I think you might like this person because from what you're telling me, this is what you didn't really get in my class, you know, and you don't have mm -hmm. to use those words, but it's directing someone to an experience that may be more beneficial to them. And that's okay, right? Because yeah. Because at the heart of it, we want people to feel good in their bodies. So if, if what I'm doing is not a way for you to connect, then maybe there's someone else that can help you get there. And, and I would like to see that versus being personally defeated and taking it as though um, I'm a bad yoga teacher and no one likes me and going in a corner and crying, right? It's like there's a different approach. Um, and, and we don't see that as often. I think that that's yeah. something that we there is this, this sometimes can be this competitive side of um, wanting to hold on to people or wanting people to like forcing people into liking us or a certain way for fear of not getting enough following or clients or people that are coming in. I think that's a great point. And I've worked for different um, studio owners with in regards to that because I have worked for people who have been like tremendous leaders and have really encouraged a place of um like cohesiveness in the sense mm -hmm. of you know we know each other and we are you know sometimes friends and so yes to send people to other classes is wonderful there is also this other element to the way some studios structure their pay which also kind of boosts the competitive side, which is some studios pay for overage, like a per head rate yeah, or, or you're just paid per head in general. So it's like that, that I think kind of creates this 
monster in some ways of wanting to hold on tight to every single client that comes through the door because they're they're your paycheck. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Weird. Yeah. yeah, and that can be tough, right? It, it's it's building upon this model that most of our society operates in for competition mm-hmm. over collaboration, right? So we move forward in this competitive way, always looking to get to make sure that we can individually get ahead um, mm-hmm. while others get left behind. Um, and so I think that it's an interesting, interesting way in which some studios are set up to sort of offer that, right? I think the at the heart of it, it's probably around just providing incentive to the teachers, but it can create this grasping onto people or not wanting to share what other people are doing or how other people teach because of fear of losing them. Well, yeah, in some ways, yeah, and in some ways, I think you're also changing the environment um, the, or the experience really for the people you're teaching because subconsciously or not, if you show up, if you're paid per head and you show up to a class of four people, you might give them a different experience than if you show up to 15 people. Totally. You know? So, you know, just something to think about. Yeah, that is a great point. Energetically, having that, having a studio set up that way creates something within the teacher when they arrive, right? Is there, are Mm -hmm. they getting the same, what is their feeling knowing that their pay is altered? right? Because the money is an energetic tool that we're using to compensate. So if if I'm not being compensated, then I might not show up as effectively, or I might just feel this depleted at the beginning of the class. Like I still have to do this, even though I'm not going to get paid what I feel like I deserve, Mm -hmm. right? And it's no, and it's not the fault of the people that are there that are showing up and want to be there. So it's a it's, I think it's a mental, it feels like a more of a mental struggle within the teacher to say, how do I feel about this? And maybe yeah, something sure. that they choose not to take part in if a studio is, is operating in that way. Um, and, and sort of tying on that, so the financial, getting a little bit back into the financial piece, because it is so interconnected, right? We, we, I feel like we don't talk about it enough in the industry because it, it seems like the... Um, you know, the one thing that, that no one wants to talk about is that mm-hmm. the fact that you actually can make money or you would like to make money or you would like to be in a place where you feel supported, right? And and not feel shameful to say that because what you're offering um, is a service that's helping people. So we see a lot of people offering yoga for free, right? We see a lot of people saying, oh, I'm doing free classes or... Um, what's come up a lot during this time is like doing donation based classes or doing things that uh, take the pressure off of asking for money, Mm. right? Asking for a specific amount of money. And what does that mean to say like my class is worth this much money and this is what I'm charging. Mm -hmm. So I'd just love to hear your thoughts on that and then how you would describe financial success. Like what does financial success look like to you? Yeah, you and I have had conversations um, about this before, about financial success. Man, I wish I had a better answer for that. It's like, <laughs> I, I think financial success, I suppose, would be just not having to worry mm. about money, you know? Um, I haven't quite hit that point in my life, but I'm hoping I will. Um, and I think there's patterns of behavior that tie into that. That's a separate conversation, but... Um, 
Yeah, money. It's so funny because for the first time, I remember saying to a, a former coworker while we, while we still worked together, I like whispered to her one day, like, what do you get paid? You know, like, ah. like it was top, like dirty. And like, she really didn't tell me actually now that I think about it, but just kind of assured me that I was making what a lot of other people were kind of a thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I have to say, I, I have enough confidence in myself to know that I am a better than average teacher. Um, and so anyway, th- th- that's a, a story for another day. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I have had to fight with many bosses about what I get paid. And it's I'm now at a point in my life where I'm just I'm not going to fight. I'm going to just go. Mm. Um, you know, as soon as there's issues about what I should get paid and me having to justify that to anybody is like, okay, if I've worked for you, you've seen what I do, the clients are happy. This should be a non-negotiable thing. If I come to you for a raise, I shouldn't even have to, first of all. But, um, yeah, that's been a sticking point with quite a few studios that I've worked for is just kind of demanding what I'm worth, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that, that is extremely powerful and something that I think people need to hear, right? Because it becomes something that seems a little taboo, like to talk about it, to ask for it, to assume that it's just going to happen, right? To assume that, that I'll just be paid more if I get another training or I'll just be paid more if I stay a year. Or, you know, there's, it's important to have the conversations to know what the criteria is for getting paid more. And if a studio doesn't know, well, that's telling in itself, right? So we can only control ourselves and what it is that our personal boundaries and you're someone that has strong personal boundaries to say, like, the moment that we start to have these conversations and we're going back and forth and I'm having to justify is the moment that I walk away because it doesn't feel supported, right? It doesn't feel like you're understanding. And um, I think that's important for everyone to understand where their breaking point is and also to understand their why behind it, right? Mm -hmm. So if, for example, that you're offering free yoga or you're willing to make less money, what is your reasoning behind it? And do you have a plan in place to say, at this point, I'm going to ask for more money, right? So if we think about newer teachers, maybe starting out and they say, okay, yes, I'll take that rate for, for this amount of time, right? You know, or, um, but I think it becomes sometimes this, just a saying of yes, without evaluating why we're saying yes, right? It's like, I just want to teach. Um, but what does that mean? Right? What does that mean for you? And what does that mean for the studio. And if we don't have these boundaries in place, we're setting ourselves up to sort of feel out of balance with each other. Yeah, for sure. And I have to say it's super uncomfortable and awkward to ask for money in general, right? And so having those boundaries is certainly not something that comes naturally, but I feel like we all need to have them. Um, And I've only worked for one employer who had very clear markers for determining raises and Mm. it was a metrics based system and it was like after three months you know we should see x amount of people in these classes and it was so helpful to me 
because I knew exactly where I stood with her and I knew exactly what the expectations were. And, and she, and she was clear from the beginning, okay, if we meet these markers, your pay rate will go up X amount of dollars. And it was like, thank you. You know, she's an an exceptional business owner where everybody else that was like, um, hi, yeah, I've been pulling in great numbers in my classes. You have not offered me a raise. I've been here for three years, you know, it's like, right. So you can tell me that you enjoy me as a teacher. All you want, put your money where your mouth is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I, I agree with you. It's, it's very rare to find a studio that has these metrics based system, right. To have mm-hmm. a system in place to say, this is what will happen. And I think because of what you talked about it being so uncomfortable, I think both parties tend to avoid the conversation. And it's something that doesn't have to come up, you know, unless someone brings it up. So when we start to bring it up, um, it's becoming clear to us. And, And I personally feel as though with the financial piece, it's making it clear, it's making it important to you in your life as well. Right. So valuing, how much money you're getting paid and to know why you're getting paid that amount of money, right? Whether it's based on how much training you've had or how valued you personally feel or knowing your customers and who's coming in, those are all important pieces because Mm -hmm. if we don't know that value, then how can we ask for more money, right? How can we even say, this is what I deserve if I don't even know how much I'm worth, right? So if someone were to turn the table and say to you, well, what would you want to be paid right now? If you can't answer that question, well, that's on you, right? Because if you can't come up with that answer right away, it just goes to show me that you don't know what you're worth, but you don't think this is enough. So where do you land in the middle, right? So that's always interesting too, to, to know for yourself what your worth is. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's also hard going back to what you were saying before is like, how do we know what the, what the pay rate is? Like, what is the max? You know, I've heard of teachers getting paid a hundred dollars a class. I've heard of teachers getting paid $25 a class. It's, it's really hard to know what to demand too, when we don't really even know what the scale is. Right. Yeah, no, it's so true because it is dependent on region and area, you know, when you're looking at different places, but I think that, that these conversations are important to have right in Mm -hmm. certain areas because there are a lot of working assumptions that people don't really have the answer to, right? And saying that you can't afford to pay a teacher is not an answer to what my rate should be, right? That's a, that's a totally different question, right? What my rate should be is based on what I'm doing for work, right? What am I doing every time I come in here? Are my attracting clients when I come in here, right? What are the criteria that I need to meet? Um, And one of the criteria isn't so that you can pay your bills and, you know, that's your personal criteria. So Mm. it's almost as though as employees, sometimes if you don't know the criteria, how can you achieve it? Sure. And so, um, yeah, I think these conversations are some that need to be had because it just becomes that, you know, for, for a large majority of people, it's just, you know, you just do it because you think that that's the right thing to do, you know, and you don't, you don't know, you just want to teach. And I, and I get that, but I think that when you're able to get to a place like you're speaking of and to say, I have these boundaries and I'm not willing to 
go in this direction, it makes it more clear to you. And, and moving forward, you're finding places and situations that feel really aligned, right? Mm-hmm. Really supportive of what you're offering. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a rare thing. Um, most people that I've worked with, most coworkers and teachers all have full-time jobs. And this is kind of something they do for fun. And I think that's awesome. But in some ways, I think it kind of waters it down sometimes in the sense of they're not in it for the money and rock on if you don't um, need to be. Right. But but I do feel like sometimes because we're not all demanding more in terms of pay, that can kind of hurt all of us, you know, and and to your point about like people offering classes for free, um, it does the same thing, you know? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a totally valid point. We've talked about this a little before, right, about the industry and how it's viewed by people, right, and how those messages become, like, you can't make money being a yoga teacher. Well, if there's people within the industry that don't have to worry about money and it's more of just a passion, then you're right. How do those people that really want to make it a career and want to be successful in it, how do they make that happen? Right. Right. Is it really possible or are we just right feeding into this myth of, but you, you can only do it if you want to do it for fun, mm. which I don't believe. I think that there yeah. is the potential to be successful in the industry and to make money. Um, and I think there are a lot of moving parts to that. Right. And there are a lot of areas in which we have watered it down or created this way in which people um, portray the industry and then we feed into that. And it's easier to get on that side of the coin rather than to step away from it and say, no, I'm going to have clear boundaries. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be the one that stands up and says, no, I'm not going to teach in the studio unless you pay me X, Y, and Z. And if more people did that, would that then shift the model? Would that then allow studio owners to see the value and to maybe readjust their personal model to see how that could work. Cause I think that that's like, we're not having those conversations cause not enough people are stepping up to say, I won't do it. Yeah. We'll see. You know, I, I just had one of those moments a few months ago and it was like Jerry Maguire, you know, I just yeah. sat up and was like, I'm quitting. <laughs> Who's with me? And it was like, <laughs> nobody's coming. Okay. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you know, but it is, it's important to continue to use your voice, right? And to continue to, I think, to have these conversations because they're not easy. And the reverse of it is to not say anything. And to me, that that is just creating more harm within the industry to assume that everything is working, right? That there aren't any areas that we can improve. And it's not, it's not intended to call people out or to say, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. It's to understand together what we could do differently. And I don't feel like enough of those conversations are happening. Agreed. And I'm glad you're starting it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm glad you're here to, to engage in it. Is, is there one piece of the industry that you, um, that you could change if there was one, what, what, what do you think it would be? If there's one area where you're like, I wish that that piece of the industry would change. Hmm. I mean, I think we're kind of hitting on it now in Mm. terms of, I I think oftentimes uh, the impression I've been under with some studio owners is that it's a privilege to work for them. And um, I mean, cool. Yeah. But also (laughs) it's also a privilege that I work for you. Um, 
So I think some, just some more transparency, you know, um, there's a lot right now on social media about hiding behind light and love. And Mm -hmm. I think that's so true in this industry is just, you know, namasteing it all away or whatever. It's like, let's have these honest conversations. Let's not just say we're feminists, but stand behind feminist beliefs. And right. I just rattled off like 10 things, Amanda, but you know, it it really comes, it comes down to integrity, you know, Yeah. treating people with respect. So, yeah, no. And I, I love that point because it, it is true. The, the industry has seen, um, a lot of bypassing, right. In a lot of different areas. Um, and it becomes easier with what's being offered to do that, right. To say, Oh, I'm just showing up in love and light which wouldn't be as feasible in other industries. And that Mm -hmm. can become an easy way to avoid the truth about what's actually happening, to actually have conversations that are difficult and challenging and would actually bring people together to understand where we could improve rather than continuing to just dismiss what's happening. So, Mm. yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, So as we're closing up, I have one final question for you. Um, What do you believe is your individual untapped power? Or this could also be the collective untapped power. um, And how could you start to access it if you are not doing so already? Mm, I've been thinking about this one. It's tricky. (laughs) Um, I think there's that I have to remember, and this kind of goes back to yoga teacher training actually, is that, you know, Glennon Doyle says we can do hard things. I have to remember that there is this fearlessness inside of me and to just continue to take ownership of that, you know, that I can be brave and do hard things. Um, And I think that that, yeah, should, it probably will resonate for other people, but it's true. It's whether it's having conversations like this or with your employer with your coworkers, you know, to just be brave and, um, and take a stand. Yeah. I love that. And you're doing that. And I'm so grateful to have you as someone in the community in which I teach and to just know you as a person. Um, and before we close, I just want people to know where they can find you. So I know you have your website, thealignexperience.com. Is that where they can find all information for you there? Yep, that's where they can find, you know, where I'm teaching, which is virtually right now. So anybody anywhere can join in. And, and what uh, are the you know, upcoming workshops right now, if you want to give people an update? Sure. On. Yeah, I'm teaching all through Zoom, Monday, noontime vinyasa class, a Wednesday, 4.30 bar flow, which is kind of a mix between bar and vinyasa, and then noon on Thursdays for bar. Great. Yeah, so... I encourage you to definitely check out um, Angela's website or tune into one of her classes and enjoy her teaching. Um, And I so appreciate you being here today and having this conversation. Um, I think we got into some, some great points and um, it was fun. Enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining this week's episode of untapped power. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review. I would love to hear your insights and wisdom. If you are a yoga teacher interested in being a participant on the podcast, please reach out directly. I am always looking for new voices and perspectives. As a financial coach, I work with clients individually who are in the yoga industry and are looking to gain clarity and awareness around your finances. 
If this is you, then reach out to schedule your free connection call. All information can be found at amandastroni.com. As always, continue to stand confidently in your power, use your voice, and allow your heart to be free. Until next time.